Good morning, Stonehouse. It's a joy to be here this morning. Love you guys. Um, I'm from Gulf Coast Community Church. It's uh, another church very much like here, uh, a little larger. Um, But every time I come here, we were here a few weeks ago, and my wife led worship a month ago or so, and uh, it was track of time, but it was a joy just to worship with you guys then as now. So um, I am... uh, I was just a follower of Jesus, that, that's my identity. It's, my identity is rooted in how much I love Jesus. And then second, I'm a husband to my wife, Becca, here. I have two um, children. Uh, my first one, her name is Grace. She is three years old, just had an awesome troll party. And uh, she is just feisty and fun. You might have met her earlier. And then I have uh, a, a little boy. His name is Abe. Sometimes I call him Aby Baby. And uh, he's one, and they're, they're a blast. Um, I think that God has put me here, us here, uh, this morning. Really, it's a neat path of how it happened. I'm a director, the director of the, our collegiate ministry commission, um, which is at the University of South Florida, St. Pete campus. Uh, I'm also director of uh, the middle and high school ministry at Gulf Coast, and I don't even know how I, I got those positions. It's just God working that, and in the beginning of being on campus, I met Emilio, I met Big Mike, and uh, I met um, Jason, and it was just awesome to see how really God was forming his church, uh, really it was what was Aletheia, and now is Stonehouse. I got to see the beginning of that and, and really be part of it. It was, it was neat, and um, God's just doing a, a big work in St. Pete. He's doing it. And there's uh, particular churches that I just love. So I'm glad to be here this morning. I um, also wanted to say how, I don't know, you guys that are married, and one thing that I think is really uh, something that stands out is our wives are for, like, expertly crafted for us. I think you guys have realized that. Um, I think as my wife sits here today, and we're going to be talking about that, how God has expertly crafted us and is guiding our lives. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to see actually how he has brought this, this plan to work. Here I am standing today with my wife doing, has helped me so much um, in ministry, but also just seeing his hand at work through the city. So another thing, if you know anything about me, is I'm just fired up about making disciples. I love making disciples. I love teaching people, equipping them how to equip others. Uh, I know about some of you guys, maybe that's your, what you're fired up on. I know Stonehouse is. And um, I think that uh, as we follow the Great Commission uh, and, and see others doing that, our lives just are, are transformed as we're on this plan of God, this path of God, who, who is expertly working in our lives. So I say all that because I have been greatly transformed and changed by God and by his power, by his grace. My beginnings were, I, I was, as, I, as I grew up and I went to church almost every Sunday, it was hard. Uh, sometimes I'd try to get out of church. Oh, I'm tired, dad, tired, mom. Maybe you, some of you guys have been there. Um, but that was my upbringing as I, I went to church. And, uh, you know, I learned a little bit about Jesus, how he died on the cross. I knew I had to believe that. I knew I had to believe that or I would go to hell. Uh, about I just needed to, to have a mental notion of that. I also learned about the resurrection because we celebrated it on Easter. Um, and I also learned that there were some stories in the Bible, seemingly odd stories. Uh, and that was my, that was my knowledge uh, of 
of, of Jesus, of God. And so needless to say, I had a limited view. I had a wrong view of God and what he wanted for my life. Um, there's so many people with the same background here. Uh, on the campus in St. Pete, I'm sure you guys meet them in the coffee shops. This is limited um, view of who God is. They have just enough Jesus to think that they're good. Or they've rejected a version of Jesus that's just boiled down to simply making a mental notion of maybe his bloody death, of what he's done. I just have to believe that, and I'm okay. Maybe you've met people like that. This view of God, it carried with me into my early college years, and God was distant. I set my ambitions on making just enough money to eventually live. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to live on an island and surf until I died. (laughs) Now, I know you guys might think, oh, that's crazy. But we all have our own crazy hopes. We all have our own hopes and dreams put into something, whatever it might be. That was mine. That was my ambition. That was what I was living for. But really, what I was doing was living as if I was my own God. My rap sheet proved it. The people I hurt proved it. And really, the time and money that I wasted proved it. It wasn't until I started to see the power of God at work, particularly through the lives of a few men that God put me around. I started to see a living and active God. I saw God's power in their lives. And and, and honestly, I wanted it. I saw it. I said, I want what they have. And I started to observe them from afar. And uh, I started to believe eventually that God was more than a mental notion. And actually, he was a God who works in people's lives and that he could work in my life too. And soon God started working in my life. I wanted to just reflect and display God with, with, with all that I had, every breath I took, every step I made. It started to change. And God's power, how he has power over all, this is what I started to believe, how he not only defeated death, but he calls us to live lives that show and, and prove this for a world to see. That's what got me. When I started to see these lives changed, and then I said, I want that for myself I want to display that. And so here I am today, like I said, just a different person. Now my hopes and dreams, they revolve around bringing honor and glory to God. And he's, he's a God who's all-powerful. He answers to no one, and yet he dearly loves me. And so to be clear, I still struggle with selfishness, temptation, impatience. My wife really helps me see that one. She helps me work through it. A lot of repentance. By the grace of God. And and despite God working so powerfully over and over again in my life, sometimes I do doubt God. I doubt God when the trials of life come. I doubt God when I look at the mountains of of trials that almost seem too big for God to move. Or when the uncertainty is there, it's almost like you can't see around the corner and you're like, God, are you with me in this right now? Life is hard. We live in a broken world. It seems bleak at times, broken. And honestly, it seems sometimes as if the power of sin is rampant and greater. At times, it can feel like this. So as Jesus followers, the last thing we want, and I know this, Stonehouse, the last thing you guys want is for people to look at your lives and think you're just like everyone else. And yet, sometimes it can feel like instead of showing the power of God in our lives, that we just show off our insecurities. Sometimes we can we could, why, God, why, why am I not walking in the way that I, I read in Scripture? Sometimes, sometimes we might even feel like God doesn't want to use us, or he can't. These are lies that we believe. 
But what if we could leave an imprint on this earth that screamed out for generations about the power of God to bring life, hope, and healing to this broken world? I would love to see that. We, would, we all want to see that, right? So we have to understand God's power in Jesus' life and in our lives. And we have to understand the resurrection and why it matters so much. When we get this, we're going to see how our lives can display the power of God to a world in desperate need of supernatural renewal. People all around us in St. Pete are in need of this. So we're going to look at uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 20, through chapter 2, verse 10. There's three parts. The power of God, the power of sin, and the purpose of the resurrection. And as we look through this section of Ephesians, we're going to see that God is all-powerful and our lives prove it. So let me pray for us as we enter to God's word. So Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we as a church can gather. You are doing a great work in this city your power is evident in our lives. You have done a lot to bring us here this morning. The stories are endless. They can fill, fill page after page after page. And Lord, we thank you for that. And as we approach your word this morning, we also ask that you're, you would powerfully work in our, in our minds, in our hearts, and ultimately through our lives. Change us, Lord. Transform us. Help us to be more like Jesus. Encourage those who would be downcast. Strengthen those who feel weary. Bring encouragement, Lord, to those who just, so, just need it. Re-envision us, direct us, God. And by your spirit, work now. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be using the CSB this morning, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, we don't even use it at Gulf Coast. It's just one of my favorite lately. So it's an, a faithful translation. Feel free to use whichever one you're using, but that'll be on the back there. Let's start out in verse 16 and just read that again of chapter 1, the book of Ephesians. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, who give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Paul ends this prayer here, which started in verse 16, asking that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to that mighty working of his strength, verse 19. And he goes on to say in verse 20 that that same power was used to raise Jesus from death to life. And so Paul is purposely connecting God's power in our lives with God's power in the resurrection of Jesus. So as we go on to read verse 20 through 20a, notice when that word power is used, our English word dynamite comes from the Greek word there. All right, so let's read this, verse 20. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet. We're going to pause right there. So needless to say, God is powerful. So powerful that he not only raises Jesus from death to life, showing that he even has power over death, our greatest enemy, right? 
But Jesus then ascends to heaven, sits in a seat of equal rule, equal authority. That's what it means by when it says at the right hand. And he's over everything. Everything. Paul wants to make sure we get this. And that's what we're starting out with today. That's the point here as we move forward, okay? There's no ruler, no power, nothing that Jesus does not have complete authority over. I say this because so often we can forget this. Paul is telling us here for this. We can forget in a world filled with wars, natural disasters, and really just people that are completely against God all around us. The brokenness of this world impacts every single person, all of us. We're in this together. Everyone in the universe can relate to the brokenness of the world that affects us. What we all can agree on is this. Every one of us feels powerless in the face of death. We do. Irma came, and I was boarding up my windows. One more board. Here's a board. Here's what. My kids are out there climbing up on me. I'm pounding more boards. And just board. Every time I put one more board on my window, I felt just a little bit more secure. And some of us escaped. Some of us were like, we are escaping from imminent death, possible death. But when, we're, when we stand in the face of death, we're reminded this is a broken world. And we do feel powerless when it comes. Cancer, we can feel powerless over. We have chemotherapy and uh, we have um, natural remedies, right? But at the end of the day, we don't know what's going to happen. We are powerless, even though we have a sense of control over it. But we all know we're weak. We all know we're frail. And we all know that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And yet as a culture, we do everything in our power to look powerful, don't we? But the one who actually has power is highlighted here. This is the Jesus we follow. He's powerful. He's triumphant. He's unwavering. He's undefeated. This is the God we serve. This is the Jesus we trust in when everything is falling around us. This is the Jesus we get to tell people about. He's the one, he was sleeping on a boat in a massive storm. His disciples woke him up just afraid that they were going to die. And just by saying a few words, the winds and the waves were calm. And not only does Jesus have complete power over everything, but just as he was sleeping on a boat in the middle of this raging storm, it was like Irma just ready to attack his boat. He also can give us sweet sleep and peace and rest. We can trust in him amidst this chaotic world we all struggle together in. Psalm 4.8 says, I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Jesus entered into our sin-sick world. He suffered like we suffered. And then he intentionally, with complete control, complete intention, directed himself, directed his life. He walked right to the cross to be shamed, ridiculed, humiliated, beaten, tortured, naked on a cross, murdered by the hands of his own creation. He did this intentionally so that we could be rescued from the consequences of sin. This is our Jesus, who even when we don't understand why there are storms around us, why is there pain? Why are there hardships? Many of you, why are you suffering right now? I don't know. But we can find rest as we trust in Jesus, the one who's all-powerful and yet gave his life for us. This is the God who to trust in with your life. 
This is the God who to trust in with your eternal life. He loves us so much that he would give his life for us amidst suffering. We can trust in him. So Paul takes it to another level now. He connects Jesus' authority and power to the church. Read with me in verse 22 again. So he subjected everything under his feet, and he appointed everything as head, or he appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So right here, this shows us that we're directly united to Christ as members of his body. He's the head. We're his body, directly united. This means we share in his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation. Paul later, he amplifies this in verse, uh, uh, verse 6 of chapter 2. He says, he also raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with Christ in the heavens. The power of God raised Christ from the dead. It unites us with Christ, and he has given us a position of incomprehensible worth. I know, sometimes you're like, whoa, did Ryan come here and preach prosperity? Yeah, this is huge. We actually are raised with him. Incomprehensible worth, this position that we have. He is exalted, we are exalted. Don't forget this. Verse 22, the word church means the called out ones. And here, the church is just a group of people, God's people, who have been bought, who've been purchased, who've been redeemed, who've been called out of this broken world into an inseparable union with the risen Christ, the glorified Christ, the ascended Christ, the powerful Christ. That's who we're united to. Talk about security. And this is why Paul prays earlier that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe, verse 19. Because when we believe these truths and we trust in an all-powerful God, our lives will change. We're going to see, in suffering, We'll trust our loving, sacrificial Savior. In times of fear, we'll trust our God who has crushed evil. He's over all. He's defeated death. In times of feeling as if sin has just taken over, it's crushing us, right? We're going we're gonna to trust our God who promises and who already has crushed evil. We're going to live like this. We're going to live in light of these truths about God's power. So next... Paul shows us the power of death because we have to get this for it's only by seeing the power of death and making us who we were that we could truly understand the power of God and making us who we are. We're going to see the power of death. Read with me in chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Those are heavy words. Starting this section off is the word and, and it directly connects this section to the previous one showing us that just as Christ was raised from the dead and exalted, so we also are in need of resurrection. Just as, just as Christ was raised from the dead and exalted, we need this. So here we go. Why do we need this? Well, Genesis chapter 3, death entered into the world after Adam and Eve rebelled against God. God warned them. 
They didn't trust God. They wanted to be their own gods. A lot of you know this story, but they ate of the fruit. And just as God had warned, the curse of death entered the world. Disease, famine, hardship, suffering, rust, decay. All of this came into the world when death entered the world. The world as we know it now is how it was in Genesis chapter 3. Brokenness everywhere, death everywhere. And one of the only statistics I think that will come true, I learned in, in college that statistics can be fudged, right? But this statistic that 10 out of 10 people will die is pretty accurate. I know you're going to say, well, Enoch and blah, 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 you know, but <laughs> let's just say from now on, it's 10 out of 10. <laughs> but it's true. And not only did physical death enter the world, but our relationship with God was shattered by our rebellion from him. And ever since Genesis 3, humans have rejected God. They've been hostile to God. They've been against God. And this hostility between God and man is spiritual death. We were made to be in a close relationship, a close partnership, relationship with God, fellowship. And yet we're born as rebels and we're opposed to God. We're each born dead in our sins and our rebellion against God. And then, as we see in verse 2, so verse one, verse 1 shows us we're born dead in our sins, our rebellion against God, and then verse 2, where it says, really, we each lived or walked according to the ways of this world. Some translations say lived, some say walked. But what it's saying here is that everyone thinks they are fine. Everyone just thinks they're fine. They're they're, they're living or walking according to the ways of this world. Yet, the ruler of the power of the air, air meaning, meaning lower atmosphere, including the earth. So, so there's a ruler of the power of the air, the, the earth, it's, it's around us, is actually at work. There's a major deception going on, a power that is deceiving the masses. And according to Paul, this power, it's taken over people. It's leading them to continually live as if they're own gods. Verse 3. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. And this is the air we breathe through this city. People around us, this is them, and this is who we were. The media as well is, is telling us, hey, this is, this is how we should direct our lives. This is what is, is important. This is what you should spend your time on. The media is giving us what they think is best for us. But yet, it says here that the, the world is following after their own desires. Even as we engage culture, and the people all around us, hey, this is what you should do. This is how you should live. Not only that, but we were these people. Dead men walking with no clue we were dead. We were all born with the sin virus. I say we're like, we were like the walking dead. The walking dead are all amongst us, according to these passages. There's this movie, um, you'll see it on the screen there, it's called Ah Zombies. The movie's premise is that there's these college students, college age students, they're at a bowling alley, um, they're hanging out and they, they, uh, they like eat this green goo, okay, of ice, in the, that, that got in their ice cream from like a, a broken sewer line fr from this like army facility that was trying to make um, superhero like warriors, right? And uh, so they eat it, 
And um, as the story goes on, the storyline, you, you see the green goo, it, it's, it's excellent. But um, as, you, as, they, as they go through their, the story, like things start act, being odd to them. They'll, they'll be like, man, why doesn't this pizza have any flavor? Or um, why doesn't this have any smell? Why is that person running from me? And then uh, the one guy looks down and like something falls in his hand. He's like, oh, what is that? And what's happening is they're zombies, but they don't know it. And you get this perspective. It's like when they're looking, it's all black and white. But when someone looks at them, it's color. And you, you see what the, the non-zombies see. And man, that's what's going on here. Sort of. <laughs> we all are deceived, were deceived. And we all were, by nature, children under wrath. We were all captured by the ways of this world and the ruler of the power of the air. And we didn't know it. We were following a false power. And this also makes it so that we don't have a judgmental attitude or we're looking down on those who are still the walking dead because we all were there. As we see, as we'll see later, it's only by God's grace, not of our own doing, but all just what God did for no reason. It's a blessing. We say, why, God, did he take us from death to life? But this is the world we live in world that thinks it has so much power and yet trembles at the thought of the frailty of life. It's a world that is so powerful and yet it can't control a storm, a storm that has so much potential for harm and yet we can barely do anything about it. It's a world that thinks it's good when everyone is living for themselves, chasing after their own desires, their own gain, their own godlessness. I think conspiracy, conspiracy theorists, when you read verses 2, 1 through 3, you could, you, you know, these guys that believe in chemtrails and Illuminati, and, you know, if you don't know what that is, go on YouTube or don't. But <laughs> these guys that think that, you could say, hey, man, you, you have a point here. According to verses 1 through 3, this, this, this could be accurate. There are powers that are powerful and seem like they're ultimately powerful that are doing things in this world and leading people astray. You could point right there and say, hey, I don't know. That's a good reason to read your Bible. I had this friend, he, um, he was one of those. He believes in, that aliens are um, using us to mine for gold. He's a, he's a very intelligent, I mean intelligent person, kind. Uh, he loves people more than I do. He's, he's an amazing guy. Um, and he he has, you know, he, he believes in these uh, really conspir- conspiracy theories, and we talk about them all the time. And we were spearfishing, and do a lot of spearfishing, and afterwards, you just get this good time of hanging out, you know, you just, try, you just risk your life, you know, and shoot fish, and just good chit-chat afterwards, and he's like, man, Ryan, I, I don't know about your kids, you know, like, you, I, I don't think I would bring kids into this world. It's, it's too dangerous, and all the things that I know about what's happening. Um, I, I think you're doing them a disservice. You're bringing them to a, a world of, of death and corruption. And I was like, well, you have a point there, Colin. Uh, but, um, you know, that's not, that's not what I believe. I believe that, yeah, this world is very messed up, but, um, you know, my God is overall. My God is so powerful that it doesn't matter. I'm going to bring kids into this world no matter what. Because my God has defeated all that we could be fearful of. And so we continue to talk, and I hope we have more opportunities like that. 
Um, he's a great guy, and I love him. But we, as believers, who understand the power of God, we don't need to fear. Whether it's these crazy powers that we can't explain, we can bring kids into this world with confidence. We can walk through the streets with confidence. Honestly, we can tell people about our God with a confidence because he has defeated all that wrecks us, that all that wrecks havoc on our lives. We need to. And so as a Christian, this is why um, as we follow Jesus, I, Paul writes this in Colossians 3. This is really going to show a contrast to what we um, just talked about. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, or you can look on the screen. You're going to see a lot of language as well that we've just used. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things, but you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Rebellion against God, as we see here, is not the road to follow. Following the ways of this world, it's not the path to take because living for ourselves and chasing the desires of the flesh, that's what's gonna eat us up. It goes against everything we were made for. Don't walk that walk. Why? Because we'll lose. You will lose. You lose everything. Paul's saying here, don't fall back into a life of death. It's the antithesis of, of who you are. It's, it's like the living acting as if they're dead. Not only does this not make sense to those watching, when we, when we walk in the ways of, of our flesh, it doesn't make sense because that's not what we're proclaiming, right? We're supposed, to, we're supposed to live a life of power, this God that we proclaim, but it makes God look weak. It deceives as well. It spews death. I would say run. Paul would say run from the ways of this world like you would run from a zombie. Like the ways of the flesh, the ways of the world, chasing after our own desires is actually eating us alive. It's what we've been saved from, and it's not how we're called to live. Run for your life. No, seriously, run. Just, just do whatever it takes. Porn, run. Sexual sin, run. Run to build up and honor the opposite sex instead of using them for your, your fleshly desires. Greed. Speaking to myself here even, just thinking, I need to, I need to run to give to be generous, just as Jesus was generous to me, instead of holding back and worrying about this bill or what might come up, tithe instead of spending your money on yourself. We need to live in light of, really, let's fight against the ways of our flesh. Maybe fear, 
Some of us are fearing today. Run toward your fears. Face them head on. God's the one who has the power, not the things you fear. Run. Laziness, run toward the things you're putting off that you know you should do. Run from giving in to a, a mediocre life. Consider how to make the most use of your time for the days are evil, it says in Ephesians chapter four. This is what someone does who's alive. Don't fall back into death. The grave is not where a Jesus follower is supposed to rest. It makes no sense to the world. It makes no sense to how God has saved us from. Let's not fall back into the grave. We've all been under the power of sin. We've all been deceived. And yet the power of sin is under Jesus' feet. Everything is. The power of sin and the deception of sin, it's being crushed by the one who's all-powerful. And Paul, he's just shown us now that the power of sin, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, this power of sin, he, he highlights that to prepare a way for us to see just how weak it is compared to the power of God. Also, we're going to see the purpose of resurrection, why we have been called from death to life. So read with me in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Now, starting in verse four, there's this conjunction, the word but. It's a big word. It, it is here to show us that we were children of wrath, but... We have been shown mercy. Thank you, Jesus. And now there's a shift that's made. Verse five, in love, God calls us his church out of our graves of death to be alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. Romans 5.10 talks about how we were even, how we were enemies of God, and yet Christ died for us. We weren't neutral to God, or we definitely weren't good. We were enemies to God, and yet Christ died for us. At creation, God made something out of nothing. That was a huge, huge thing, right? Crazy to think about, making something from nothing. And yet God at our conversion took a rebel, opposed to him, and gave him life. He took an enemy, someone who hated him, gave him life and made him live. And we've been saved by grace, verse 5. There was no reason we did anything to deserve life. We actually just deserve death. In some versions, I think they say, have been saved by grace. But the Greek tense tells us Paul means we've been saved and this salvation has a continuing effect in the present. It's not just a rescue. It's eternal security. For more on eternal security, let's look at verse 6. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Here we go. In case you missed it earlier, in chapter 1, 22 through 23, Paul reminds us of how we are united with Christ. We are raised up with Christ and seated with Christ. We're not only saved from our sin and rebellion, but we are given a place of worth in God's kingdom. This ties right into chapter one, where we're all God's sons and daughters. We've been bought by God through his blood, and we are heirs with Christ, united with him. Oh, that we would know the wealth of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Notice that. It says his glorious inheritance, verse 18. Man, that we would know that. We are united with Christ. 
And now the purpose of the resurrection continues to unfold. Read with me in verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches, there it is again, immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God's displaying his kindness to, to, to this world that's in complete rebellion to him. He's using us. God's plan is, to, is, is shown to all the world through Christ's resurrection and ours. Not just Christ's resurrection, but ours. The purpose of the resurrection. Read with me in chapter 1, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan. See, God has this. He intentionally formed this. He intentionally worked this out. Moving on, as a plan, verse 10, for the right time to bring everything together, or some say unite, to unite everything in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. It's all for God's glory, what he's worked out, and we're part of it. The resurrection of Jesus, the new life we have been given. This undeserved unity with Christ brings honor, brings praise to our God who's all-powerful, all-loving, and all-deserving of worship. And next, in verse, uh, verse 8, Paul reminds us of God's saving work on our lives, which was given even though we didn't deserve it. And then, in case we think we might still have some power to control God's favor on our lives, verse 9 says, it's not from your works so that no one can boast. Read with me, verse 8. And nine, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. This is not from what we've done. God has done it all. And it reminds us, and it reminds us of God's work and giving us new life. It's, it's up to God's power and God's kindness. And all of it is undeserved. God's plan. Why? Because he gets all the glory, not us. And lastly, in verse 10, we're told we are the result of the powerful workmanship of God. Read with me in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And that word workmanship here, it's speaking almost like an artist's painting or sculpture. Just as God created the world and all of its beauty, and it is beautiful, isn't it? But he, he shaped us. He expertly crafted us. He has prepared us. He has made us for good works. We've been created in Christ Jesus, given new life, seated with him in the heavenly places, united with Christ. We're his body. He's our head. The resurrection changes everything. Instead of a bunch of dead men walking around, dead men and women, we aren't deceived anymore. We're not acting as if we are our own gods. Why? Because we've been given our new life. We're called out from death to life. We've been called from the grave. We've been shaped by God to bring him glory and honor and fame as our lives display his power, his kindness. God's powerful and our lives prove it. Our lives prove it. This means that our schedules should not be dictated by the ways of this world, or schedules that could so easily be forced. Oh, this is what you should do. This is how you should. No, no, no. Our schedules, they should be dictated by 
God who is all-powerful and our lives prove it. Our finances, our relationships, our ambitions or pursuits. As God's powerful, as God's people, we're crafted by him expertly and we were made to live our lives as those who have been given new life. And so we know, I, I think we know, that it's when we live a life that's against the ways of this world, when we live in a way that almost goes against the grain of what culture tells us, it's when we feel like we're actually living. We, we honestly feel alive when we live lives that just seem insane to those around us. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. We were made to live lives that do not look like the majority of those on the planet. Romans 12 speaks a little to this. Verse 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Let us not be conformed to the ways of this world, right? Let us be transformed. Then we will know God's will. We'll follow God's will. Our schedules will not be dictated by the ways of this world. Finances, our pursuits. The resurrection, it doesn't just change our pursuits, though. It changes how we face the challenges of these pursuits. See, we can have a confidence that God, that our all-powerful God, he's at work as we join into his mission. Are you fearful of sharing your faith? God has expertly crafted you to walk out good works. Love God, love your neighbor, love him enough to share the good news of Jesus. Does it, does it seem awkward to pray with or minister to someone, maybe in your city groups? Like, oh, I know I should pray for them. Oh, it's hard. Or someone here today. But here's the thing. God, he is all powerful. He's crafted you to serve them and to bring him glory in all that you do and all of its awkwardness. Just do it. Live in light of the powerful God whom you serve, who's called you from death to life. God has rescued us by grace, totally undeserved, verses five through nine. And we too are called to rescue others who don't deserve it. We've been crafted by God to do good works, verse 10, for those who have never helped us and actually for those who hate us, right? Because just as God has called us from death to life and we hated God, we're called to do good works to those. The good work, God, God has done great work in me, right? Calling me from death to life. We're called to do good works to those who also hate us, our enemies, who are those that are so hard to minister to around? There's so many people that are difficult. Even think right now, who's difficult in my life? It might be a, a, a brother or sister in Christ, but it might not be. Somebody who you're like, oh, I, don't, I can't get in that conversation. You know, you kind of go, yeah. But God made us for good works, and we need to keep the gospel, this, 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 this truth that he has called us from death to life. We too are fashioned for good works to pour our lives into others. But it's, as we love our enemies in word and deed, I think that's when we're most loudly sharing the gospel, showing the gospel. Why would they do that? I was an enemy to God. He pulled me from death to life. So who's God put in your life? And knowing we've been expertly crafted for good works, I think we should also be looking for unique ways God has fashioned us for good works in... Um, I think in community, that also is shown off. So as you guys are in city groups, I think as you intentionally invest in each other's lives, you can point out uh, your God-given strengths uh, or others' God-given strengths. I think you can see your God-given strengths, and I think you'll be challenged in a way. I know I am 
um, in which the power of God can be displayed through you. There's times where in our groups at Gulf Coast, you know, particularly, I, I just, I, I, I continually go to this picture of this older lady, um, like 70 plus, just rushing across the room and praying for a college student, you know, like, and, and it was just this bold move of, you know, like, I, I trust my powerful God in this prayer, and then another college student coming and praying, and I see late night conversations, and you guys are having these of, of just, you know, intense proportions, like deep conversation, and these giftings are coming out, giftings of love and compassion and shepherding, and this is when God's, like, power is displayed through you as you guys are in tight community with one another. So may you continue to do that as not only your strengths are shown off, but you could say, hey, man, I, I really see this in you. You really have a, a kind spirit. You have a real, you know, you, you're really faithful to God's word. You, you understand doctrine really well. And that, that can be used in a lot of ways. And I, I love how you just pray for that person. You have that faith to do that. Would you, would you continue to do that? There's a lot of ways we could stir one another up, notice these things. I also think as we invest our lives in just, lives in just one other person, um, that can be huge because then we kind of pass on what we're strong in. And then as someone invests their life in us, kind of continues the cycle of disciple making. So use your gifts. Pass them on to others. Seek to be invested in. The power of God, it's life-changing. It's changed us, right? We're here today because God has worked greatly. God raised Jesus from death to life, and he has power over everything, and he, by grace, has brought us into his family, the church. Call it out once. May our lives show off our God, who is over all. And through what seemed like defeat, death on a cross, Jesus defeated even death with the resurrection. He's undefeated. Our God is triumphant. So Stonehouse, let me just remind, remind you guys, like you have a particular position in, in your church, this local church, to remind and encourage one another of this as you carry each other's burdens. Our God is triumphant. Encourage one another as you struggle in this sin-sick world. And then also, Stonehouse, may you show off your all-powerful God to the city of St. Pete as you bring hope and healing and gospel renewal to the city. It's in desperate need. God's all-powerful and our lives prove it. Let me pray for us. Just as Paul prayed, I'm going to pray his prayer. So, Father... I pray. I pray for the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at St. Petersburg, Stonehouse Church, that you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, would, would give us, would give Stonehouse the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are. I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the wealth of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of your strength. Father, I send your church out, and it's a joy to be partnered in this. Help us to reach St. Pete and to bring gospel renewal to the city. In Jesus' name, amen.